Pray with me, please. Lord, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for bringing this this group together here in fellowship in your name. We ask now that you will engage with us, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that your word will have meaning for us here this morning. Amen. I feel like I'm kind of loud. Am I? Okay. Well, this morning we are continuing with our Outward Bound sermon series, walking through the book of Acts and exploring the expansion of the early church. And I think a lot of people might say that today's reading from the book of Acts is a nice little throw-in snippet by Luke. So a bunch of people got together, and they hung out, and they ate, and they prayed. Just a little feel-good blurb, unimportant bit of fluff in the overall story of the expansion of the church. But they would be very wrong. First of all, there is no fluff in the Bible. Second, Luke is a detail guy, a historian who carefully interviewed eyewitnesses in order to put down an extremely accurate accounting of the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke doesn't use throw-in snippets. Everything he wrote is precise and important and meant to tell the story. Even the writing materials they used in those days were too precious to waste on fluff. Third, this is one of the most intriguing and important series of verses in the New Testament. This is the very first accounting of what the early Christian church looked like 2,000 years ago. Luke wanted to describe just how the early Christians were living in Jesus, how they worshiped together, took care of each other, and lifted each other up. Luke is not only providing us with a peek at what early church life was like, but he's giving us a roadmap to follow. This simple paragraph is telling us how the original apostles and followers saw what life in Christ should be like. My wife constantly reminds me what a scary place my brain is. (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, while pleading with the Holy Spirit to give me an inspiration for this sermon, I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts to get my favorite coffee. And I was saying, okay, Lord, You've only given me six verses here. You're going to have to give me a lot of help with how I make 22 minutes worth of sermon out of this. (laughs) And while waiting in line, I took notice of the crew working behind the counter. There was a person taking orders and payments, and there was another person making drinks, and there was yet another person making food. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a pretty good system. They have takers and they have makers, all working together. And that led me to think about another experience that I had that probably could have been on Saturday Night Live. While traveling for work several years back, I was out on Cape Cod for a project. And at lunchtime, I decided to stop at a little place in East Wareham, Massachusetts, called the Lobster Pot. (laughs) 
Being the only customer at that time, I stepped right up to the counter to order where a young lady greeted me and asked me what I would like. So I ordered a bowl of chowder (laughs) and a lobster roll, and she took my payment. She then gave me a small ticket with the number 41 on it, which she said was my order number, and told me to move down to the next counter, which was on the other side of a pole about three feet away. And someone would get me my chowder. So I obediently moved the three feet and stood there. And after a minute or so, the same young lady reappeared in front of me. And she said, what are you having? I looked at her a little perplexed and said, you just took my order. Can't you remember what it was? Sir, she said, we take a lot of orders. I looked around at the empty restaurant and said, okay, I had chowder. She brought the chowder, let me know they would call my order number when the lobster roll was ready. I took my chowder to a table and sat, still the only person in there. After a few minutes, the same young lady picks up a microphone and says over a loudspeaker, Order number 41, your order is ready, order number 41. Even though I was only sitting 10 feet away. I got up from the table, walked to the counter where she smiled and said, what was your order? (laughs) I stared at it for a little bit and said, the lobster roll. And she replied, do you have your ticket? (laughs) To which I said, you know, I'm the only one in here, right? But I dutifully went back to my table and retrieved my ticket and gave it to her. And I finally did eat. But I thought, you know, that's a pretty lousy system. (laughs) Just a taker and no makers. So takers and makers. It seemed to me that somewhere in this system of takers and makers, there was indeed the basis for a sermon. So what do you know? Inspiration at Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Takers and makers. So let's look at how these types of people fit into what Luke was trying to tell us about fellowship. Takers. Let's look at them first. I see these as people who are happy to take what Christianity has to offer. The good news of Jesus, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, God's all-encompassing grace, and salvation. Now I'll admit... All these sound pretty good to me, too. These people profess to be Christ followers, but they prefer to take it from a distance. Maybe they watch a church service on TV, or they listen to one on the radio, or they might bring one up online. And please, especially you people at home, do not confuse these people with shut-ins or those affected by the pandemic that absolutely must find an alternative way to worship. For them and us online, church online has been a blessing that we can be thankful for. So don't confuse these, please. And these same folks might just read Christian books, or maybe they'll just worship at home alone at the church of me. Friends, these people are not just missing Luke's point they're missing out on what Christianity is all about. They're taking but not making. There's no fellowship 
There's no church family. There's no us. No we together, one body in Christ. We can't serve God by watching TV church or sitting in front of a screen. We can't serve God by not interacting with and supporting our fellow Christians. Around 70% of Americans identify themselves as Christians, but less than 30% attend church on a regular basis. A lot of those will say, sure, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church very often. When asked, they give a lot of reasons for not going. One in five says they dislike the sermons. (laughs) Makers. I see these as the church family Luke had in mind. Eager to worship together, lift each other up, love each other, break bread together, and pray together. We can't do any of that unless we come together in fellowship. Makers are too easy, too, are also eager to take what Christianity has to offer, but they're also willing and happy to be part of the whole. This church, this beautiful building and campus, is only just that, a building. Those early Christians certainly didn't meet in fancy church buildings. In most cases, they had to meet in secret in order to dodge the Romans and avoid persecution. They met in people's homes, confident that wherever two or three were gathered in his name, Christ was there. Some people think that the church is run by the clergy and a few volunteers, maybe the vestry, And all they need to do is show up once in a while, listen to the sermon, take communion, and go home. Friends, the church is all of us, not just a few. And it's what we make of it. A friend of mine who has now passed on once told me that on several occasions, he came here to the church, and he looked in the window at the service. And he said that everyone looked so happy and content that he couldn't bring himself to come in. Because he wasn't happy or content, he thought he wouldn't fit in. I thought that was so incredibly sad. He was completely missing the point. Is everyone at church today happy and content? Of course not. The smiles that we see on Sunday don't reveal the storms that are raging in each other's lives or the pain that we are feeling. But what those smiles do reveal is the contentedness that comes from a fellowship of believers, willing to lift each other up, pray for each other, and let one another know that they are not alone. Luke's reference to fellowship implies that there was something distinctive in the gatherings of those early believers. There was something about the sum of the parts that made them unique. In the very first verse, Luke begins describing the early church by telling us that the believers were distinguished by their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And while Luke mentions fellowship separately, it seems to me that all four of these elements are part of that fellowship. So let's take a look at those four things and see what they mean to us in our lives and the life of the church and why they still persist 2,000 years later. First of those foundational elements was the apostles' teaching. 
the 11 original apostles and Matthias had a significant role in the beginnings of the early church. Following Pentecost and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, they would be responsible for passing on to these new Jewish believers a full authoritative account of Jesus' life and teaching. This would have included much of what would later come to be recorded in the four Gospels and the New Testament. It undoubtedly included a compilation of the sayings of Jesus, some account of his earthly ministry, his passion and resurrection, and an explanation of what all that now meant for salvation. In addition to this, they would have helped provide a new perspective on the Old Testament, explaining how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. The apostles had yet to write anything down that wouldn't happen for another 35 years when the Gospel of Mark is written. The New Testament, which would ultimately include the writings of Paul, in addition to those of the first apostles, now provides us with all that we know and all that we need to know about Jesus Christ and the path to salvation. Fellowship. Luke makes it plain that it was important to these early believers to spend time together. It was important for the expansion and expression of their faith, and in those days it was important for their safety. While in this country, at least, fellowship is no longer important for our safety, it is still essential to expanding our faith. Those early faithful would have spent hours in discussing the apostles' teaching, encouraging and challenging each other, and enjoying one another in the family bond that the Spirit created. There is, that is really no different than what we experience now. The breaking of bread. Just what was meant by the breaking of bread in verse 42 has been hotly debated for years. To me, it is difficult to believe that Luke had in mind only an ordinary meal, since he includes doing it together with others, and praising God, and had no doubt been told of the Last Supper by the Twelve. Undoubtedly, the breaking of bread was an occasion for joy, love, and praise because it was connected with Jesus. This expression may refer both to sharing ordinary meals and to remembering the significance of the death of Jesus by celebrating what would become to, known, come to be known as the Lord's Supper. This remembrance would have been a time of quiet reflection, prayer, and celebration. Prayer. The first Christians spent a lot of time together in prayer. They still prayed privately, but Luke tells us that they often prayed together as a group. Most likely maintained the Jewish pattern of setting aside three times a day for focusing on prayer. Some, no doubt, continued to go to the temple and pray at the customary Jewish hours of prayer. Luke tells us, in fact, that they met together in the temple courts. Their prayers probably centered on blessing and praising God, but now also included the risen Jesus. The best news was that through Jesus, these new Christians could now have fellowship directly with God instead of needing to have a high priest intercede for them. Prayer is one of the means that God has given us believers in order that we might enjoy and experience fellowship 
directly with him. So fellowship, why do we need it? Fellowship allows us to use our spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has given us that allow us to help others and to serve him. If you have never taken a spiritual gift survey, you should. You might be surprised at the gifts that God has given you and that you didn't even know you had. Fellowship gives us strength by being able to learn and grow. Just as those early believers met to learn from the apostles, we can join each other in reading and discussing scripture and praying. We can learn things from each other. Those of you that are members of life groups know what I'm talking about. Fellowship provides us with support and encourages us. My friend that looked in the window and turned away had no idea what he was missing. There isn't one of us here that doesn't appreciate being lifted up, encouraged, and prayed for by our church family. And fellowship allows us to know that we are not alone. When the storms of life hit, and they will, no one wants to feel like they're facing those trials alone. For a healthy Christian life, you need to grow in knowledge and understanding of Christ through time spent in fellowship, through ministering to the needs of others, through sharing the faith God has given you with others, and through spending time in prayer. So then what makes fellowship tough? One word, divisiveness. We know that the devil is on the prowl, wants nothing more than to pull us apart. In our current world condition, it seems that more and more we are pulled apart by pandemics, political divides, social media, unexplainable mass shootings, divided churches, and polarization. We find in these situations irrefutable proof that the devil is out there, lurking and hunting. He is looking for the weak or the solitary, like a lion tracking a herd of antelope. He's hunting for the takers. It's easy to see that the evil one is doing his level best to cut us out from the herd, to separate us and to pick us off one by one. It's when we are alone that we are the most vulnerable. Even these earliest Christians, these first meager 120 that would turn into billions, realize that. They understood the importance of fellowship and support and belonging. And they gave us an example that Luke saw fit to write down. We may not need fellowship for pure survival like the early Christians did, but we still need it. We need it for support of our fears and our pain and our suffering and simply to know that we are not alone. Ellen and I just spent the last 13 weeks facilitating a grief share program for those that have lost loved ones. The most important thing that the participants learned during those sessions was that they are not alone. They are not alone in their suffering and grief. But they also learned that they can be support for someone else. It was awesome to see how they lifted each other up and loved each other. Friends, that is fellowship. That is what being a maker is all about. 
These low times are why fellowship is important. Spending time with other believers can lift us up. God also works through others to provide us what we need in these darker times. Coming together with others can aid us in our healing process and give us encouragement to move forward. In Grief Share, we talked a lot about being stuck and how not to be stuck. And being stuck means being so focused on your fear or your anxiety or your grief or whatever that you are unable to move forward with the life that God had intended for you. And one of the best ways to get unstuck is to serve others, to be a maker. I read an article recently by the Reverend Sam Candler, whose article was entitled, Flat Screens Make Flat People. (laughs) I think we can all agree that slowly but surely, as the pandemic eases, people are returning to their churches. Each Sunday, we are reunited with folks that we haven't seen for almost two years. Invariably, they will say, well, I've seen you online. And we can all be thankful for the blessing of technology and resources that allowed us to stay in touch during those times. And I'll admit to being happy to at least being able to worship in some way or another. For its season, it was great. It enabled us to sustain relationships with those we couldn't get out to see. But friends... We need to be careful. Our engagement with the world and our church family through a screen can make us lazy and complacent. It can make us takers. Worship through television or Zoom or other kinds of media does not deliver the social interaction and support that we need and that these early Christians showed us we should seek. Two-dimensional flat screens don't provide deep 3D social interaction and we are in danger of being dumbed down during our zoom life group meetings paul cooper and i would often lament about how much we missed meeting in person we missed the opportunity to hug bodies to shake hands and look people in the eye and enjoy their smiles and laugh together we missed the opportunity to lay hands on someone's shoulder and pray for them. And we miss the opportunity to get out into the community and do service or mission work. Though the pandemic has been real and we have all had concerns about safety, I believe that the enemy has also stepped up his game to promote separation and is making efforts to keep the family of God separate and lull us into believing that we can still grow strong while being separate. I'm constantly amazed by the people that God chooses to put in my path. It may be someone that I can bless, or it may be someone that blesses me. There's always something to be learned about life and about walking with the Spirit. God uses these people to mold us and us to mold them. And if we are willing to walk in the Spirit, He will bit by bit transform us into the image of Christ. I am glad that you all have been put in my path. I am delighted that you all are part of my church family. In the movie The Four Feathers, Harry Faversham left England in the 1880s to search for his friends in the king's army in the Sudan. In his quest, Harry got lost and was near death 
in the vast deserts of Africa. Then, as his life was ebbing away, he was rescued by an African named Abu Fatma, who cared for him and restored him. Stunned by the man's kindness to a complete stranger, Harry asked why his new friend had done so much for him. Fatma's response was simple and direct. God put you in my way. As we move through life, we are challenged to respond to the needs of people. We will either show them Christ's love or we'll be indifferent. We need to think about how we respond to those God chooses to put in our way. Fellowship brings unity. Fellowship provides us with strength. It's a fellowship created by the Holy Spirit, sustained by the Holy Spirit, and directed by the Holy Spirit. This is what makes the fellowship of the Christian church unique. This fellowship has brought into existence, was brought into existence on the day of Pentecost. Rick Warren says the church is not an institution, a religious club, a society, an organization, or a business. The Bible describes the church as a family. That's how we are to relate to each other. So I submit to you that the life of a true Christian is not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of belonging. And belonging to a church family is essential. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you already belong to God's family. But there's a difference between attending a church service and belonging to a church family. God doesn't want church to be something you go to. He wants church to be something you make something out of. Get involved. Just like your own family, if there's something you think is missing or that you don't like, make it better. Join a small group. Volunteer to serve others. Take a mission trip. Step into one of many serving opportunities that our church family needs every week. Don't just move your lips. Move your feet. Let's get in each other's way. So there you have it. 22 minutes of worth of inspiration straight out of the Holy Spirit and Dunkin' Donuts. I challenge you all, be a maker, not a taker. Let's pray. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.